Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. The road to hope. Or I would say this, hopeless on the road, on the road to hope. (laughs) Hopeless on the road, on the road to hope. You know, the message of Easter is one that's been celebrated for thousands of years now. Maybe for you, this is your first time in a church. And if so, I want to acknowledge that and say thank you because it takes a lot of courage to enter a church space if you've never been to church before. And we mean this, welcome home. We want you to feel at home. Maybe this is your first time in a long time because something has transpired in your faith journey that's kept you away from church, away from God, away from faith. And again, thank you, because that's a really big deal to be here on this Sunday. You've probably heard of Easter before, and maybe you're asking, what's the big deal? Like, why Easter? Why all the celebration? And what does it mean for those who believe in Jesus to celebrate Easter Sunday? And really, the message of Easter is there is hope. Would you say that with me? Say, there is hope. The message of Easter is there is hope. The message of Easter is not be optimistic. Optimism only gets you so far, right? What is optimism? Oftentimes, optimism is denying reality, denying what's really going on and trying to see the bright side, trying to look at the glass half full. How many of you don't nudge them if they're sitting next to you? You have an optimistic friend or spouse, and sometimes you just want to say, could you stop? I know it's all going to turn out okay, but I really don't need you to tell me that right now. I I just need, what I need is for somebody to acknowledge this is painful, this hurts, this is heavy, this is deep, this is dark. So sometimes we need that acknowledgement. And the difference of optimism and hope is hope acknowledges hopeless circumstances, but hope also says, but... In other words, I know this is heavy. I know it looks like there's no way out. I know it it feels like this is the end, but we have hope. The message of Easter is that you and I are invited to place our hope somewhere true, somewhere where there's assurance, where there's confidence. But it all centers and hinges on this. What's your view of Jesus? Or I ask it this way. Do you see Jesus as your resurrected Lord and Savior? So no matter your belief this morning or this afternoon, no matter your belief tomorrow, no matter your belief, no matter what you might think, this question impacts all of us because every single person has a view of Jesus. Let me offer you some views. Maybe your view today is you believe that Jesus is a myth meaning you don't believe that he is real or ever walked this earth, ever made a difference. That's your view of Jesus. Maybe if you were in conversation, you would say, my view of Jesus is that Jesus was a good man. You might go that far and to say, well, he was a good man. You might take it a step further and say he was a good teacher. He taught some great things. He taught us to love others. He taught us to be kind. He taught us to forgive. He was a good teacher. You might go a step further and say, you know what? I think Jesus was a prophet. Like any prophet for any religion, he spoke on behalf of the God that the religion supports. And Jesus was a prophet. He had some good things to say, some good things to do. Your view of Jesus will impact your hope. 
And if you see Jesus as a resurrected Lord and Savior, there is a unique hope that you have. And Easter is an invitation to see him that way. So I would like to introduce you to Jesus, not as a man, a prophet, a miracle worker, or a teacher, but rather as the Lord and the Savior, who maybe, maybe, if you would go with me through this text, maybe he did actually rise from the dead. Maybe he is the one place where we can put our hope to know not even the grave can stop this. It's hope. And what we all know about hope is that hope can be lost when our hope is placed in a temporary place. Come on, you don't have to be a Christian to agree with that one. We all know that's true. Hope can be lost. Hope can be lost when hope is placed in a temporary place. Let me give you some examples. Some of you have put all of your hope into a career. And you said, as long as I have this job, I have a purpose. I feel valued. I feel wanted. I'm a provider for my family. I I feel like I'm making a difference. You put all your hope there. And what happens if that career is gone? Do you still have hope? Or have you built everything around it? Some of you have put your hope in your children. That as long as I have my children, as long as my children are happy and healthy and they're, they're successful, then I have hope. And what happens if they're not? Some of you have put your hope in a relationship, maybe a marriage. If I can meet the right person, then things will be better. And then my life will have purpose and they'll complete me. And then the two come together and you realize they were never created to complete you. And now you feel like you've lost hope. We all have places where we can put our hope. And when our hope is placed in a temporary place, hope can be lost. And here's the hope of Easter. There is a place where you and I can put our hope where hope will not be lost. His name is Jesus. Hope does have a name, the name of Jesus. But we have to see him in a certain way. So I want to introduce you to two disciples who struggled to believe that Jesus was the Lord and Savior of their lives. And this is good news for us, isn't it? Because maybe you're here today and you're saying, okay, this sounds good, but if I'm really honest, I'm struggling to believe in Jesus today. I'm struggling to think he actually came back from the dead. I'm struggling to think that he's real. I have my doubts. I have my concerns. I have my skepticism. What does that mean for me? What it means for you is you're in a good place. Your doubts do not disqualify you from Jesus's love and from his reach. In fact, the first disciples, the first believers struggled to believe in the resurrected Savior. And I want to show you that so that you might know your doubts don't disqualify you. Jesus does something in their hearts that I'm telling you, I believe he is able to do in your heart today. We've been praying that he will make this change happen in your heart. So lean in for a few minutes as we explore the first Easter, the first Resurrection Sunday. We're going to meet our two disciples. They come into the story in the afternoon time. But first, I want to start at the beginning of the day. And here's what Luke writes took place on that very first Easter. Luke says in chapter 24, verse 1, On the first day of the week, say the word the first day. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Now, I don't know what time you got up this morning. Maybe it was very early in the morning. I got up very early in the morning so that I can get to an Italian bakery and make sure I got some Easter bread and some green pie because that is what got me up very early this morning. And I still had to wait 30 minutes in line despite getting there almost when they opened. There are things that will cause us to get up very early in the morning. And for these women on the first day of the week, which was three days after the crucifixion, they wake up early in the morning and notice what they bring with them. It says they brought spices, spices, 
they had prepared. Those spices were to be put on the corpse of Jesus so that the decaying process did not smell as bad. So just think of that fact. What are they expecting to see when they get to the tomb? A dead body. That should cause you to to think. If you think first century people somehow believed easier in the resurrection, no, they didn't. They had the same hurdles, and these were people who had been following him. They were expecting to see what you would expect to see if you went to a cemetery, a body. But it says in verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. This is a shocking moment. And notice the text doesn't say that they went on their way to the tomb with guitars and a keyboard and a drum set and they were ready for a praise party because they knew Jesus said, I'm going to rise after three days. So after all, if they believed or just believed because it was easier for first century people to believe, no, it wasn't. They wouldn't have shown up with spices for a dead body. Yet they show up expecting to see a body and I got to think they were shocked when they saw the, the stone rolled and the tomb was empty. And then we read, and you heard it this morning, that there were messengers there gleaming, bright light, declaring, he's not here. In fact, I love it because the messengers literally remind the women, he told you he was going to rise from the dead. <laughs> like you've heard this before. And, and they say this, watch this. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Now watch this. Too often, we try to find living hope in dead things. We try to put our hope in places that we are not supposed to find our hope in. Find your enjoyment in your career. Find your enjoyment in your kids. Find your enjoyment in your horizontal relationships. But those are not places for you to find living hope. They all carry an expiration date with them. So that the messengers ask, why are you looking for living among the dead? Don't you know he wouldn't be here? And then the messengers say, go tell his disciples, and they say, go tell Peter. They point him out because Peter needs a little extra work. He's an EGR, extra grace required for Peter. Just make sure Peter knows too. He's working through some things with this betrayal. Let him know he's, he's risen. He's gone ahead of you. So the women do what the messengers say. They run back to the men. Now, again, if you really believe that the first century believers just believed it and they were expecting it, no, no. Look at how Luke, who is a doctor, who wrote a written account of the life, death, burial, and ascension of Jesus, writes how the men reacted. Luke says, but the story sounded like, what's the word? Nonsense to the men. Now, right there, ladies, if you want to give a good amen, you can do that. Because sometimes what you say to us men sounds like nonsense. I'll say, babe, is it all right if I go out? And she says, it's fine. And then I have to say, is it really fine? Or does it's fine mean don't you dare think about going out right now? Because if you do, don't bother coming back. It's fine. Sometimes what we hear sounds like nonsense. And in this moment, the women say, we saw the empty tomb. We saw some messengers who said he's alive, he's risen. And the disciples say, that's nonsense. Do you know what that's called? embarrassing testimony. Here's what I mean by that. If the first century followers of Christ were attempting to spread a myth about the resurrected Savior, remember, we're reading this 2,000 years later. 
but people read this in the first century. Why would they circulate a document that makes the men look like cowards and doubters and the women who were not legally allowed to testify in court look like the first eyewitnesses who had it all together? The only explanation is because this is what happened. They wrote themselves into the story, not as heroes, but as they truly were, doubters, skeptics, confused, afraid, and watch this, hopeless. Their hope was gone. The one they followed was nailed to a tree and thrown into a cemetery. And now there's this story that he's not there and that he's risen. And this is where we meet our two disciples. So Luke writes, that very day, don't forget that, that's the same day where the tomb was empty and the women said, he's alive. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. How many miles? Seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, I love this part. Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him made some observations as I read this text. I want to share them with you. The first thing I observed was the direction that the disciples were heading. Notice these two disciples are heading away from Jerusalem on a seven-mile journey, away from the place where the crucifixion happened, away from the place where the resurrection happened, away from the place where there was community with others. They are walking away in hopelessness. Oftentimes, you see this right in the garden. Isolation is a really good tactic when we feel hopeless. To get us by ourselves, to get us feeling like nobody understands me, no one gets this, no one wants me, I've lost all hope, I'll just withdraw from everyone else. These two are walking away from Jerusalem. Maybe today you find yourself walking in that direction. You're just trying to figure it out on your own. You're just trying to ask the big questions. Why did this happen? Why did she have to die? Why didn't I get the job? Why are my children this way? Why am I this way? And you're asking these questions and it could be that you're traveling in a direction that is away from where God has you. But look at this, God in his grace continues to draw near. How good. And as they're going in that direction, there's a discussion and they're talking about all these things. And maybe they're talking about what happened the past three days. Maybe they're talking about what happened the past years saying, we saw him teach. We saw him heal. We, we, we saw all of this and we saw him die on the cross. And now what? And then in their discussion, Jesus himself drew near. What a moment of grace. Do you know why there's hope in his drawing near? Because these disciples weren't faith-filled, fired up and kind of believe in everything. They were hopeless. They were broken. We'll read in a moment. They were sad. They, they had lost it all. They put their hopes in what they thought was a sure place and now it seems like it has crumbled. And yet in their doubt and their pain, Jesus draws near. You know what I believed for so long and maybe you believe it even today, that Jesus draws near to good people, to those that get it right, to the religious to the best of the best. That if you can impress God enough with maybe your Bible knowledge, your prayers, your giving, your serving, then he'll draw near and make himself known to you. And yet these two disciples have none of that and Jesus draws near. Can you hear the gospel this morning in this? 
He's drawing near to you even now. I believe that. It's no accident that you're in this place today. It's by his grace, and he's drawing near. I say it this way. Jesus isn't offended by your pain, hurt, and doubt. He can handle it. He's big boy Jesus. Give him your raw prayers. Read the Psalms. Read the cries of those who put their faith in Jesus, and then they just say, where are you? Why have you left me? He, he can handle it. He's faithful. He's gracious. He draws near. And yet there is this detainment, I'll call it. They can't see him. They can't recognize him. And the question comes up, why? Why not? And, and maybe it was because they were so entrenched in their own grief and sorrow that they couldn't see hope that was walking with them in the moment. Maybe because the authors often report that Jesus in his resurrected body was familiar at moments and then a stranger in others. Maybe it was his resurrected body. They, they couldn't recognize him. Maybe God was the one who sovereignly kept them from seeing Jesus for a moment so that they could see him for all eternity. All we know is God has a good plan. And today, if you're struggling to see Jesus, find yourself in the moment. That doesn't have to be your eternity. We'll see how that goes for them. So Jesus draws near and then he begins the conversation. And he said to them, what is the conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. I love this moment because I believe it is Jesus empathizing with their sadness and sorrow. I don't think that he's in jest hiding himself and now being sarcastic in some way. I think Jesus is so genuine and so loving that he asks these two disciples who are so broken and hopeless, what are you talking about? What's going on in here? And they stood still looking sad. They're, they're broken. They're hopeless. And then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here the last few days. They don't know stranger Jesus is Jesus. And they're saying, you must be the only guy that has no idea what's been going on. Why? That's important for us to note too. The crucifixion of Jesus created a ripple in Jerusalem that everybody knew about. This wasn't just another criminal or revolutionary or zealot that was crucified. Everyone knew about this crucified Jesus of Nazareth. So they're looking at this guy saying, you, you don't know? Everyone knows. How do you not know? And then Jesus replies with these two words, what things, Jesus asked. Would you say that with me? What things? What things? Again, I don't think Jesus is trying to hide himself in this moment and be sarcastic. I genuinely think he's meeting them where they're at. He's saying, tell me the things. Let's, let's broaden it. What things were you hoping for that haven't happened? What's on your mind? What's weighing you down? Why He knows they're sad. They were looking. Tell me about the things that are causing you grief. Come on, let's make this real this morning. What are the things that you were hoping would satisfy you and they haven't yet? And Jesus is saying, talk about it tell me. Bring it to me. You were hoping that this would be the fix, and it's not. You, you promised yourself just one more night, and that was months ago. You said over and over, if I only, and you got it, and you're still hopeless. 
what things. So now they begin to share their view of Jesus. Because remember where we started, everyone has a view of Jesus. So here's how they express it. What things? Well, the things that happened to Jesus, what's the first word they use? The man. The man from Nazareth, they said. He was, what's the next word? A prophet who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty, what's that word? Teacher. In the eyes of God and all the people, do you notice what they're doing? They're expressing their view of Jesus and these are the views that we can have today. First, they start with, you never heard of the man Jesus? Oh, the man Jesus is just the man Jesus, not the, not the man God. They say the man Jesus. Then they expand a little. You know, he was a prophet. We believe he was sent by God to speak on behalf of God. That's what a prophet was. And, and he was a miracle worker. He did really cool things. One time he gave everybody free lunch. It was awesome. He took a kid's lunch box and fed everyone. It was the coolest day. We saved money. We got free food. We came back the next day for more. He said, no. He walked on water. He, he taught us great things. He, he was a miracle worker. He was a mighty teacher. I mean, you should have heard his lessons, the way he would use the flowers to teach us about the kingdom. Or one time he told us about sowing seeds. And it, he was just really good at what he did. He was a man. He was a prophet. He was a miracle worker. He was a teacher. But they never once said he was the Lord and he was the Savior. And maybe the reason why you've given up on Jesus is because you've had this view of Jesus and he hasn't satisfied what you want because he wants to give you the view you need. We say, I want him to be this for me. I want him to be the miracle worker that fixes my life. And then when he doesn't come through, you walk away, you lose hope because he was supposed to heal the person and he didn't. And you say, he must not be real. But was he your Lord and Savior? You want Jesus to be the Jesus you want. But would you recognize you need Jesus to be the Jesus you need? And on the road to hope, with hopelessness, these two are saying, man, we, we thought. And, and, and this didn't match our worldview because what do they say next? Our leading priests and other religious leaders, they handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. So if he is just a man, a teacher, a miracle worker, a prophet, then when that man, teacher, miracle worker, prophet gets nailed to a tree and put in a tomb, your hope dies. End of story. So now we leave Jerusalem, we figure out our lives. What do we do now? And notice what they say. You've said this before. I know it. I know I have. Verse 21, we had hoped. Could you say that this morning? We had hoped. We had hope. What did you hope? Oh, we had hoped that he was the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel. But this all happened three days ago. So there's some things we need to know about Jewish history. These are most likely Jewish disciples. And they use the word Messiah because the Jewish people believe that one day a anointed one, the anointed one, the Messiah would come and would rescue, notice their language, Israel, a people group from the tyranny of any empire that was over it at the time. So the Messiah didn't come when they were in Babylon, didn't come when they were under Persian rule, didn't come when they were under Greece, but now they're under Rome. And maybe now Daniel's prophecy will come through and the Messiah has come and he's gonna rescue us, us being Israel. They were hoping for political Jesus, military Jesus, Jesus that does exactly what they need him to do. But now there's no more hope. Why? Because this happened three days ago. And Jewish people believe that it took three days for a soul to leave its body. Meaning at this point, there's no chance of a resurrection. The soul's gone. 
we lost our hope. And when you and I put our hope in places that are misplaced, we lose our hope. Things don't turn out the way we thought they would. So here's what we need. You and I need someone to hope in that cannot be overcome even by death. We need someone that we can put our hope in that not even death can stop. And these hopeless disciples are talking to hope and they don't even know it. And they're saying, man, we hope Jesus was the guy, but clearly he's not, he's dead. There's no hope for Israel. There's no hope for us. And he said to them, verse 25, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Again, indication that he's probably speaking to Jewish people who had the prophets. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? He's saying, come on, guys. You have the prophets. What, did you skip Isaiah 53 where it says there's a suffering servant? Do you not remember Zechariah who said he would ride in on a donkey? You have the, didn't you know that the, the Messiah would have to suffer? They, they were missing it. Here's, here's why this matters to us today. You can be here in this place. You can go to as many church services as you want and you might still miss the Jesus you need by mistaking him for the Jesus you want. And when the Jesus you want doesn't come through, you walk away, but you, you miss the Jesus you need. So we need Jesus to open up our hearts. It's an act of grace. And it's what he does. Watch the next verse. I love this verse. It has shaped the culture of Blaze Church since we started. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning, what does the word say there? Say it loud. Himself. So he goes, guys, 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 come here, come here. I gotta tell you something. Get your Bible, get your Bible, get the Torah. Starting the first scroll. And notice, he doesn't say, open it up real quick. I got to teach you something. You know what you missed? You messed up some of the commandments. You need some laws to set you straight. I'm going to give you some rules to become a good person. I'm going to give you exactly what you, we're going to open this thing up and figure out how you're supposed to live, what you're supposed to do, and then you'll have hope. I love when people tell me they don't go to church because they're not religious. My response is always, don't worry, I'm not religious. And they let me be the pastor. What does that mean? I'm not religious. What we're saying is I'm not good enough. As if our salvation is contingent upon our morality or law keeping. So Jesus opens the scriptures and he shows them himself. Can I theorize with you? Maybe some scriptures he opened up. I I wrote them down. Maybe he started on the first pages of the Torah. Genesis chapter three, where when Adam and Eve have to leave the garden because of their disobedience. God gives them a hope in the form of a prophecy. Where in Genesis 3.15, he says, one day an offspring will come and the snake will bruise his heel, but he'll crush the head of the serpent. I wonder if Jesus said, do you know what? That was about me. I'm the snake crusher from the first garden that destroyed death, hell, and the grave on the cross. I wonder if he said, boys, can I remind you of when Isaac climbed the mountain with wood on his back and obeyed his father? That pointed to me where one day I would climb a mountain with wood on my back and be the sacrificial firstborn son to redeem all humanity. Maybe he said, you remember Joseph who was betrayed by his brothers and yet forgave them in the end? Well, I was betrayed by all and I offered father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You probably remember Esther and she risked her whole kingdom to save her people. 
Well, that pointed to me where I would leave the riches of heaven to come down and rescue all of humanity. He might have said, I am the true son of David whose reign has no end. The Passover pointed to me, the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And just like Jonah was thrown into the storm and the sea to calm it all, I was thrown into the storm of sin to bring peace to this world. It all pointed to him. And he tells them it's all about me. What is he saying to them? You want hope? You need me. I am hope. And they have this conversation and then they get to the end of their journey and Jesus acts as if he's gonna go on. And they say, no, no, it's, it's late. Stay with us, share a meal with us. And so they come to sit down for some Easter bread. Maybe, maybe not. Luke 24, 30. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. And then he broke it and he gave it to them. Do you know this is not the first time that Jesus took the bread, broke it, blessed it, and gave it to people? In fact, just four days before this sitting down, he did the very same thing with his disciples. Maybe they were there, who knows? He did the same thing with his disciples and said, let me take the bread, let me break it, let me bless it, let me give it. He did it at another time on a mountainside when he took the boy's bread. He blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. And they've got to say, I think I've seen this before. I've seen, maybe this is the bread of life himself. And Luke 24, 31, the first word is this, suddenly. That's a word of hope. You know why? Because it only takes a moment. And I believe today, April 9th, 2023, in this 1230 service, there's going to be a moment where you are suddenly going to see Jesus for who he is. And you're not going to understand it. You may not have all the answers, but you're going to leave here saying, I came in hopeless, but I left knowing hope himself. His name is Jesus. Because suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And I love this. And at that moment, he disappeared. Classic Jesus. He shows up just long enough for you to know he's real. And I don't, I don't know, Luke doesn't say he did, but I like to think he winked at him before he went, gotcha, and just boom, he's gone. Where's Jesus? He was just here. What? And, and listen to this, because what they say is exactly what some of you are experiencing in this moment, and you don't have words for it, so let the gospel writers give you the words of what's happening in you. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us? as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us. Man, there are some of you in this space that your heart is burning in you right now and you don't know why, but you're having the scriptures explained to you and you're seeing there's a Jesus who is not just a man, a teacher, a miracle worker, or a prophet, but rather he is Lord, which means he's over everything, including you, and he's Savior, the one who came to rescue you from your sins and make you new. And there's something stirring in you, and it's not emotional response to music or lights. No, it's God doing a work of grace in your heart right now. There's this burning. What is that? The scriptures are being opened. Jesus is alive. And so many of you that know Jesus is alive, it's why there's joy in your heart on this Sunday to say, my King is alive. Jesus is over everything. See Jesus as the redeeming Messiah. And I, I know you may have doubts. I get it. I think if we're honest, at, at all of us at some point had doubts. And still there are days where even after following Jesus, like these disciples, the doubts come in. Start to wonder, is he real? Where is he? 
Here, here's what I would invite you to do, especially if you're here. And again, thank you for being here. If you are so skeptical of Christianity, that's amazing that you came today. You've got doubts. Can I ask you something? Let me just ask you something. What would happen if you doubted your doubts? What would happen? You're so sure that this resurrection isn't true. Okay, maybe then you have a little doubt and you're saying, you know what? I'm not sure after today. What if you doubted your doubts? What if you said, maybe, maybe I need to investigate this. And when, when you leave, we have a, a book out in the lobby. You could take that, but more than that book, what if, because what was it for these disciples? What did Jesus do? He went to scripture. <laughs> what, if you, what if you just took this seriously just for a week, maybe a month, maybe a year, you say, you know what? This is worth me investigating. And I'm gonna doubt my doubts for a month. After all, let's be honest, all of us spend way more time looking up articles that don't matter anyway. You get to the end of the day and you're like, man, I know so much about cats and dolphins now. I got to fact check so many things and I don't know what's real. Come on, don't you think that the resurrection is worth a little bit of your time to investigate? Because after all, if this is real, this changes everything. This provides a place for you to put your hope that will not end. So I encourage you, doubt your doubts. We have a Bible for you today. Go to the back table and grab a Bible. Come back next week as we explore scripture and what it means to have our wounds healed by Jesus. Doubt your doubts. So the disciples, look what they do next. This is how it ends. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. How many know they got their step count in that day? They clocked it. They did seven miles this way. They walked it out, but I got to think they sprinted back to get down before midnight. Like, remember, the, it was, the sun was setting. That's why they brought Jesus in. Now they're like, let's, let's book it, man. We got to go back to Jerusalem. We had an encounter with Jesus. And look what happened. They found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together. Remember, they left them. What were they doing together? Here's what they were doing. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So Luke doesn't bring that out. John does. There was a moment that same day where Jesus appears to Cleo and the disciple and appears to Simon. And now they're all back like, he's alive. It's real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Simon saw him. And then look at this. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Would you say that with me? What had happened on the road. They had a story to tell. What had happened on the road. I believe that today you are going to have a story to tell based on what had happened on the road in your life. Let me share maybe your story. You've been away from church for so long or you've never been to church before. You never heard of Jesus or when you had heard of Jesus to you, he was the myth. I was gonna say the myth, the man, the legend, not that. <laughs> he was the myth, the teacher, the man, the prophet, the miracle worker, but he was never Lord and Savior. And on April 9th, 2023, scriptures were opened. Jesus was revealed. And you identified with some disciples who had lost their hope because they were never really believing in Jesus as Lord and Savior. They were believing in him to be the one they wanted. But he so graciously said, I'm the one you need. I went to the cross to pay the price for your sins because sin leads to death. See, we all fall short of the glorious standard of God. 
And the wages of our sin is death. It's the penalty of our sin. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And these disciples, suddenly, there's an awakening. Their hearts burn within them. And they recognize him. And part of your story will be, I recognized Jesus on April 9, 2023. I surrendered my life to him. I still had questions. I still had doubts. Not everything was figured out in 30 minutes. But I said, I want to know this Jesus who loves me so much that he would die for me. I want to know more. Romans 10, 9 says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Christ from the dead, we will be saved. Notice the basis for our salvation, for your rescue from sin, is not your morality or your good works, but rather it is your confession. I need Jesus. I need him to save me, to rescue me. And in a moment, I'm going to invite you to say, I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And I would encourage you, don't let this moment pass by. If you've never put your hope in Jesus, you've never said, Jesus, forgive me, save me of my sins. What a beautiful gift on Easter Sunday to say, save me, Jesus. I put my hope in you. Maybe for you, you have your hope in Jesus, but something is stirred in you today and you realized I've also put my hope in something else. I'm also hoping this comes through. And if I'm honest, if it doesn't, I'm gonna feel pretty hopeless. And Jesus is saying, I'm drawing near to you, my son. I love you, my daughter. I'm who you need. Don't put your hope in a temporary place. That's misplaced hope. Isn't God good? He, he's so gracious to us. He loves you so much. So we're gonna pray as a church and the power is not in the prayer. The power is in the person. His name is Jesus. And we're gonna call on his name because scripture says all who call on the name will be saved. So as we pray, you wanna know Jesus today. You're saying, Pastor Keith, I want my life to be forever changed by Jesus' love. I wanna leave this place knowing I am saved, forgiven. I have a hope that will not end. We're gonna pray and I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand as a sign of surrender to the Lord, not for your neighbor, not for me, but for you to say to the Lord who sees you, God, forgive me of my sins, make me new today. If that's you, why don't you lift your hand right now and say, Jesus, save me, forgive me of my sins. And we're gonna pray. Church, let's say this together. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died and rose again so I could be forgiven. Thank you for new life. Today, I surrender mine. Thank you for hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Scripture says all of heaven celebrates. So Blaze Church, let's join heaven right now as people are saying, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I am made new. If you made that decision, we want to connect with you. That blue card, there's a spot that says, I've decided to follow Jesus. Check that off. Head to the back of the room when we end. Give that to someone. We want to put a Bible in your hands and say, welcome to the family of God. We're going to end with one more song of celebration. So would you stand with me, Blaze Church, as we worship our King, as we say Jesus is over everything, whatever we face, He has conquered it. He is the hope of Easter.